You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have an Arizona Fall League update, but I'm going to dive really deep into some of the prospects that have boosted their prospect stock, if you will, the most in the Arizona Fall League. What I like about this is it's a mixed bag. You have the J.J. Bladez of the world as a first-round pick who struggled in 2021 and has really righted the ship, and I'm going to talk about why I'm really sold on the improvements that he has made, but then you also have the Elijah Dunhams of the world who is with the Yankees' undrafted free agent in 2020 who has also taken his game to another level in the Arizona Fall League, and that's what's so cool cool about the AFL is because of the fact that you have first rounders and undrafted guys all kind of making a name for themselves in this environment where it fosters one, the opportunity to work on things, two, to get more reps, and three, if you're a guy that played in the lower levels, it's better competition. If you're a guy that played in the upper levels, it's an opportunity to work on things even more so in maybe not as much of a pressurized environment. But the other thing about this year's Arizona Fall League is that it's as talented as ever. And I'm going to get into a little bit of that, of why this Fall League is so talented compared to other years. Uh, But I'm sure you can guess. I mean, it's the 2020 season being canceled. What do we look for in the Arizona Fall League? Generally, the profile, I guess, of a prospect that you're looking for uh, to be somebody that gets sent to the Arizona Fall League is somebody that, one, uh, did not get a lot of reps that year, whether it was injury or whatever it may be, and just needs more reps. Two, struggled and needs to get more reps because they struggled. Or three, is a young guy who just wants to continue to get more opportunity. There's a little bit of everything with the types of people that are out there. But with no 2020 season, you could argue that almost every single prospect needs more reps, aside from some of the arms that may have accumulated a lot of uh, innings on that arm this year, for the most part, especially in the offensive side of things, you could argue that almost everybody could use some more at-bats after no 2020 season, and that's why we saw a ton of really talented players out there, but also a ton of really talented pitchers. So I'm going to give a few bats, a few arms that I really like, that I feel like have taken their game to the next level in the Arizona Fall League. I always get the question of, how does the competition compare to where they were in double-A or high-A or blah, 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 and I think that's a very valid question, because the Arizona Fall League is a very very unique and fluid type of league where some some years it's going to be more pitching centric some years it's going to be more hitting centric this year it was more hitting centric uh, because of the amount of guys that needed ABs but I still think that there's things that you can take away from each of the individual performances that can have you more sold on what they're doing like this isn't JJ Boudet just feasting on some weaker pitchers he has hit everybody and I'm going to talk about some of the data and things that back up what Boudet has adjusted in his swing and why I think the improvements are for real. Before I jump into it, would really appreciate it if you could take a second to leave a rating if you enjoy the podcast as it helps me grow the show immensely and I really appreciate hearing your feedback. So thank you very much for that. But let's start with none other 
than Nelson Velasquez. And I've talked briefly about Velasquez, but I mean, he has really just lit the world on fire since getting called up to double A. And that's the thing is he was really good in double A before the Arizona Fall League, but it's kind of just continued what he did in double A, but also has cut down on the swing and miss even more, which has been a really encouraging thing. And I put him as a candidate as a guy that has really boosted his stock still in the Arizona Fall League, even though his stock was pretty high after the stretch in double A because of some of the adjustments that I like that he has made at the plate. He made them in part of that double A stretch, but now I'm really able to see them in a more, I guess just more at bats, more opportunity against some really good pitchers to see how some of those slight tweaks have helped Velasquez. Uh, with both Velasquez and Bleday, they've made some similar adjustments. Bleday is more dramatic, but one of the big things for them has been that flat bat uh, in their pre-swing setup because because a lot of guys are looking to do this now, that 90 degree angle between the barrel and, and your body essentially, because it is a much easier way to get from where you are about to start your launch to getting the barrel right to where you want it to be uh, at the point of contact. And the 90 degree thing is something that you're hearing a lot of players mention a lot. And I'm sure somebody will mention it when I have a prospect on the podcast in the future, but it makes things easier instead of you know having the lightning rod and getting a little bit too barrel tipped, which some guys like. I mean, Barry Bonds was a big barrel tip guy. Other players are starting to have a little bit more ease with that 90 degree flat bat kind of angle in their preload and right before their launch forward. And it works for guys, especially if you have raw strength and bat speed and you don't need any extra movement to generate some more power, some more lift. Velasquez doesn't need anything to generate more power. His power is effortless. And when we look at the 2021 stats, he wasn't that dominant in high A, but when he made those adjustments, he really was able to take it to the next level in double A and then in the Arizona Fall League. But Velasquez would have been somebody that totally caught me off guard if I hadn't made that trip to South Bend. I went out to South Bend uh, to go watch some games out there. And when I saw Velasquez there, and it was just before he really started heating up, but he was batting in the middle of their order. One, he steps up to the plate. Even though he's only about six foot six one and about 200 and change pounds, he is very solid, very physical. And when he stepped up there, there was just a presence that he had, but I watched him foul a couple balls off. I'm watching his swing. I'm like, this guy has some special bat speed. And he didn't even do anything too crazy in the series that I watched, but even the balls that he drove, I just saw easy, easy power and also a natural feel for backspin and a swing that middle in, he was just unloading on baseballs. He was able to get to almost any pitch. I was like, this guy has no business being here and he should actually have much better numbers than he has. And that's where I was prompted to follow him. Not long after, oh my gosh, he exploded. But it was funny because I talked to some of the Beloit Snappers players, who that's who they were playing in that South Bend series. And they said, oh no, no, this guy can hit the freaking ball. Just wait, the numbers, you know, the numbers are going to catch up. And uh, I had the same takeaway hearing the players say the same thing. Uh, it was very interesting to see how it all kind of came together. And when you look at his numbers on a full 2021 scale between high A and double A, 270, 333, 496 slash line, 20 home runs, 45 extra base hits, 122 WRC plus. He did have the 31% K rate, which is the one thing to monitor. The thing about Velasquez, though, is that I'm not that worried about the swing and miss. And I know that sounds crazy with a 31% K rate, but he has the ability 
to hit all types of pitches. I was really impressed with his ability to hit the breaking ball, and that's something I've seen in the Fall League a lot too. He stays back on breaking balls really well. He isn't fooled by the lefty changeup that fades away. He's still able to keep that weight back, and I think that's one of the adjustments that he's made too, is that it's allowed him, with limited movement, staying in his lower half, he's been able to stay back on pitches that he's even fooled on and keep those hands back, and he has so much power that even just that B swing that he takes instead of the A swing is still enough to be able to put the ball out of the yard. And when you have that kind of power, knowing that uh, really helps your ability to frequently tap into that power and have that hit tool play up. I think we've seen that a little bit as the K rate dropped in the Arizona Fall League to 25%. And that's important because the K rate was high in high A too. So it wasn't just him striking out more in double A. It actually dropped in double A. So it's good to see the strikeout rate drop in the Arizona Fall League as well. And the power has not dropped in the Arizona Fall League. 371, 481, 742 slash line in 23 games, 9 homers, 15 extra base hits. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. And I'm expecting it to continue. He's had success against breaking balls, sliders, fastballs up in the zone. He can hit all those pitches. The reason why the strikeout rate can be high is that he gets over aggressive. And I think that's something that he's already toned down. I think it was something that was uh, worked on in double A with the hitting coaches in double A. As you know, the higher you get up, the better the coaches are, generally speaking. And I think that somebody helped him there because I saw a total change in his approach. He definitely was more comfortable taking pitches and going deeper into counts and trusting his his ability to hit the ball and was much less aggressive. That cut down an aggression allowed for him to, uh, you know, not strike out as much simply and, and walk a little bit more. He's never going to be a big walk guy, but he's a sneaky good athlete, explosive lower half. I'm sold on Velasquez. I can't believe that he is still so low in the prospect rankings, but it's only a matter of time where we see him get bumped up big time, especially with the Cubbies effect of being in a big market. And we know how Cubs fans are with their prospects. Uh, but this is an exciting guy who I think could be an above average defender in the corner as well. Sneaky can run a little bit too and somebody that Cubs fans should be very, very pumped about and I'm eager to see how he starts out next year in double A. Next up, is J.J. Blade, who has been just fantastic in the Arizona Fall League as well. It was 100% an underwhelming season for Blade in what was really his first full season as the fourth overall pick in the 2019 draft. Then you had no season in 2020. So we only saw a short stint of Blade immediately, who was just deployed in a high A right after the draft for the tail end of the season, and he held his own. So at that point, you're not putting too much stock into how a guy performs right away into high A. Most draftees don't go straight to high A unless you are a high floor college back which is exactly what Blade is. Then no 2020 season, so we see him start 2021 in double A. He had a really good showing in big league spring training, and rumors were that the Marlins were even considering starting him in triple A last year. Well, it's a good thing they didn't because he struggled in double A overall. 212, 323, 373 slash line for the outfielder, 12 home runs, 45 extra base hits, which isn't bad in that regard. 97 WRC plus, so slightly below average, and a 22% K rate. So the K rate wasn't bad, and that was never really an issue for Boudet. No one really had any questions about his bat-to-ball skills. He always could hit from the day he got to Vanderbilt. The power didn't really show up until his junior season where it showed up big time. He hit 26, 27 home runs, leading power five baseball. So that was obviously something that started to show and boosted that draft stock big time. Time for him, uh, but then all of a sudden the power is not really appearing. 
And slowly but surely, the Marlins fans and Marlins faithful are starting to get worried. And uh, I know the Marlins organization front office is going to say they were never worried. They cite the batted ball data, which I think is a valid point uh, as a reason why they weren't too, too concerned because the batted ball data on Bode was pretty solid. But when I watched him, he was not impacting the baseball uh, with much authority. He was not looking like a guy that hit 20-something home runs in his junior season. He just didn't look like that kind of dude. And it was a little bit concerning. I mean, we saw Baseball America drop him out of the top 100. We saw him drop him out of the top 10 in their uh, Marlin system rankings. We saw a lot of prospect outlets start to really fade Wade pretty quickly. Uh, he made some big-time swing changes, and I would say pre-swing adjustments, uh, and they have really bode well for him. It's been really nice to see because I'm very sold on the adjustments that he's made, and I'll tell you why. I'll get into the data behind it, but also just from the swing breakdown component. As you know, I'm always talking about guys and how they are able to control the lower half in their swing, and Blade was somebody that had a lot of moving parts. His upper body and his lower body had so much going on that it would have been hard to time up one of them. I mean, his hands alone, if you look at the way he used to swing, uh, as recent as this double-A season, but also as far as at Vanderbilt. I mean, the the pre-swing movement, the amount of places his hands go before he finally gets slotted into a swing is just impossible to time up. Maybe you can time it up in college, but it is really hard to time up when you're worried about three different speeds at the professional level. And we saw that big time for him. He had the bats of ball skills to still be able to put the ball in play at a decent clip, but he was just so off with his timing. He was off and rolling over, popping up. It just, there was not a lot of firm and solid contact when you're moving your hands around so much to finally get into your slot and at that point he also had some inconsistencies with his lower half something that's you almost can't even see it's very very minute but also has a huge impact on your swing is where hitters are kind of putting their weight and Blade, you could tell by his weight shift with those hands moving like crazy that his weight was more in his quads than in his backside and in his back hip and that's something that ironically he ended up talking about in an article with Baseball America right after I had talked about some of the adjustments that he made so it was pretty cool to see him uh, kind of explain some of the stuff that I saw uh, and made me feel a lot more confident in what the breakdown was on him and the changes and what they mean for him but he was somebody that kind of got into the quads more which means you're going to have less control over your weight shift. When you're in your quads, you're going to drift forward a bit more. You're not going to be able to stay back on breaking balls. It's just harder to stay in your base. And you're going to get fooled at times. But if you're somebody that's in your back hip really well, you can get fooled, keep your hands back, and throw your hands kind of like I said with Velasquez and still be able to hit the ball with authority to all fields. But Day's a guy that's always used the whole field. But he became more of a pull-happy guy in AA because of his inconsistent lower half and because of the fact that I feel like he had the sense that the only way he was really going to be able to hit for power was pull side because of how, I guess, uninvolved his lower half was and how inconsistent his hand timing was. Now we see him look so much better because he's starting with a little bit more of a pre-stack into his backside. So he's already sitting on his backside a little bit more than he normally does. He also has quieted the hands down. Instead of all the movement, he keeps the barrel flat in the 90 degree angle thing as I was talking about and just has a slight move to get back into a slot, create separation from that front side, and that's it. 
It's a slight move and that's it. Instead of all of the movement to get to whatever, whatever spot he wanted that was very rhythmic and it's really hard to time up rhythmic movements, uh, all he does now is start pretty flat and just get the barrel back there or get his hands back there, I should say, uh, to get ready to come forward. It's that easy with the hands. And that has allowed, I think, things to simplify with the lower half too and keep everything tied together really well. Now we're seeing him spray balls all over the field and now we're seeing him hit the ball harder than he ever has before. And that was the biggest thing for me. Yes, Blade was playing a whole season in double A and has still a pretty good field to hit. So you'd expect him to hit well against some of the lower competition, even though there's a mixed bag of some really good double A arms. Uh, but there's also some lower level arms that somebody like J.J. Boudet can feast on even if he's not uh, fully unlocking his potential. But it doesn't change how you impact the baseball, and he has impacted the baseball differently. Four of the five hardest hit balls he has hit all year have been in the Arizona Fall League. Think about that. He only played 21 games in the Arizona Fall League in A, well over 100 games, and he has already hit four of the five hardest balls he's hit all year in that little 21-game stretch, where, by the way, he's hit 325, 434, 602 with five homers, 13 extra base hits, and a 19% K rate. So when you're hitting the ball harder than you ever have, we're seeing him spray home runs to dead center like he did in the, in the Fall Stars game. This is a different hitter. I'm very sold on Bode's improvements. I always had a, a confidence in his bat-to-ball skills. Now that he's impacting the ball differently, putting up exit velos we haven't seen him put up before, this is real, and I'm really excited to see what Bode does heading into 2022, where I'll assume he'll start in AAA with maybe an outside shot at cracking the Marlins' big league roster. I'd assume he starts in AAA, and if he continues to impact the baseball like this, uh, the Marlins have a lot to be excited about, and I am very sold on uh, the power output that he's putting up here. 30 home runs shouldn't be a problem for Blade when he's hitting like this. I'm going to get to one more hitter, which is a Yankees prospect in Elijah Dunham, and then a pair of pitching prospects who have really, really impressed me, maybe as much as anybody uh, that I'm going to talk about on this podcast in just a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Let me know if this sounds familiar. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows. Maybe you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and then you've got your neighbor's best friend's login to stream whatever else you want to stream. I mean, there's so many different places to go, and it's all so haphazard, but DirecTV has a solution for you, a simple way to get all of the entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part is there's no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion, and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. And we're getting in the Thanksgiving spirit. And Thanksgiving is great with all the good food and treats, and there's plenty of them. But maybe you want a really good dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. Well, I got Built Bar for you because Built Bar is the new 
holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bars, or the raspberry Built Bar instead of the raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any single pie. Low calories, low carbs, low fat, high protein. They're covered in 100% real chocolate and Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. And if Thanksgiving isn't coming fast enough, go for a Built Bar or two. Share some with your family at gatherings. It'll make things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't even tried a Built Bar yet. And if you go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. Also, there should be some Black Friday surprises at Built.com for some good deals on top of this 15% off. That's Locked15 for 15% off at Built.com. So let's get back to one more offensive prospect that has been fantastic in the Arizona Fall League and then two pitchers who have been absolutely special. One more high profile, relatively speaking, and one very under the radar guy who, honestly, I wouldn't blame you if you've never heard of him because I don't think many people have heard of him or at least heard his name in a while. But let's start with Elijah Dunham. This Yankees outfield prospect has been fantastic. I mean, he was really good uh, in 2021. And there's something that's a tad misleading about the undrafted free agent label, because being an undrafted free agent in a 40 round draft is obviously uh, very significant when you're performing at this level, because no team in more than a thousand picks wanted to select you uh, and they signed you as an undrafted free agent. That's much more rare. Heck, even with a 20 round draft, it's much more rare. But Elijah Dunham was an undrafted free agent in the 2020 draft. So I think he still would have been somewhere in the 8th eighth, eighth to 10th round range, which still is a very impressive performance from this guy, no matter where he was selected. Anyone drafted after the 5th round that is putting up the numbers that he put up in the Arizona Fall League and also in the regular season this year is really impressive. And Dunham, a little bit more on the backstory of him, he is an Indiana Hoosier alum, and that's where he played his ball was a 40th round pick as a draft eligible sophomore decided to go back to Indiana that was in 2019 goes back to Indiana for 2020 had a huge season before that though in the summer collegiate league of the NECBL which is a sneaky good league a lot of players from the Cape will get picked out of there towards the end of the NECBL season and it's right up there with the Northwoods League as a really solid, solid summer collegiate league that can help players uh, that are not quite at the level of the Cape yet or just didn't quite get on Cape radars to either get on Cape radars or just put up a really good performance that is still worth something. Not quite the Cape value, but still worth something. And he did just that by the summer that he put up over with the Ocean State Waves and then parlayed that into a really good start to his junior junior season at IU. Unfortunately, that junior season was cut short. So after absolutely mashing, doesn't get a chance to potentially play his way into a top five round consideration because I really think that's where he could have been if he had a full season at IU, uh, but does not get that. So the Yankees have that opportunity to snatch up uh, a really good prospect potentially for $20,000 as an undrafted free agent and sneak up and grab him. The numbers in the fall league have just been spectacular. 356, 472, 603 slash line, a pair of home runs, 11 extra base hits, 10 stolen bases, which paces the entire 
Arizona Fall League and also, I mean, just showing his incredible ability to just avoid strikeouts and make a lot of consistent contact and spoil a lot of tough pitches. Only that 9% K rate lowest in that entire Fall League. When you're doing those kinds of things, uh, there's a lot to like there. Dunham's also a premium athlete, or at least a very, very good athlete, who is... I think probably going to play in the corners just because I think that's where he profiles a bit more, but has the ability to play center field. No problem. Could easily be an average defender in center field. Depending on how he develops out there, I wouldn't rule out center either. In terms of how he profiles as a hitter, it would probably be better to see him in center field. But as a left fielder who has a high contact rate above average speed, there's a lot to like here with Elijah Dunham. And what I like about him is he does have that leg kick, but he times it up really well. He repeats it really well. And he makes really good in at-bat adjustments, something that I love about Corbin Carroll. I see a little bit of that in Elijah Dunham. You fool him on a pitch, he is going to step out. He, You can see his wheels turning. He's going to kind of store that in the memory bank, get back in there, and not make that same mistake twice. I, I really was impressed at how... You beat him with a curveball. You go to the fastball. However, the at-bat continues to unfold. When guys go back to that curveball, he either stays back on it better and spoils it, or he spits on it and takes it for a ball. I really like what I saw from him in that regard as well. The approach is really strong. The swing is just geared for line drives. Geared for line drives to all fields. He can spray them to all fields. But the sneaky thing about Dunham is that he has above average pull side power. Maybe even a little bit more than that. When you leave the ball middle in, he will turn on that thing and he can hit it a long way. While he may not be driving the ball to dead center for home runs, he has legit pull side power and he still has the ability to spray the ball all over the field. So as a guy who seems like a very smart hitter to me, uh, at least from what I've seen so far, early in the count, you know, he can look to maybe try to find something middle in and go pull side and try to do damage, or at least if he's ahead in the count. But when he's at in an even count or really just looking to drive the ball and get on base and set the table or do something, he can be more of that bat-to-ball guy that sprays the ball over the field. But he seems to leverage his hitter's counts really well, and that's why we saw him hit 13 home runs in low A and high A. He's already hit a pair of home runs in the Arizona Fall League. When he's ahead in the count, you better not come into him because he does have the ability to just drop the barrel on the baseball. And all of a sudden now you see more of that launch angle. But when it's out over the middle and the outer half, he's looking more to hit line drives and spray the ball all over the field. I like that approach because that's who Dunham is. He knows himself well as a hitter. And I really like guys that know themselves as a hitter. Has the balance of the athleticism, the good approach, uh, there's a lot to like here and some sneaky pop too with a short porch in Yankee Stadium over in right field. He could easily, easily hit more than 20 home runs and have the dynamic tools across the board to make him an above average regular outfielder. Keep your eyes on Elijah Dunham. He is very, very intriguing. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if he's traded because even though he's not a top-rated prospect, this is a name that if I'm a team that's making a deal with the Yankees, let's say I'm trading Matt Olson or I'm trading anybody who the Yankees might be interested in, when I'm looking at the secondary and tertiary pieces, Elijah Dunham is going to be one of those names after the headliner that I'm looking for as the throw-in into the deal because I like his upside and I like his high floor. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him get dealt. And again, the Yankees farm system just continues to get better without even trading for anybody. They're trading away prospects and the system gets better because of how well they have been developing guys, especially on the offensive side of things. Pitching, not quite as much, but on the offensive side, they have had so 
many, so many bats take their game to the next level. That's it on the bat side, though, and now we're going to a pair of arms who have been spectacular and have really, really impressed me with their sheer stuff. I'm going to start with Owen White, right-handed pitching prospect with the Texas Rangers. And Owen White was a second-round pick in 2018, so he's not some nobody uh, that really came as an undrafted guy in a 40-round draft or something like that. He is somebody that the Rangers gave well over a million dollars to sign away from college in 2018 in the second round. But we hadn't seen him throw once until the start of the season because he had to go undergo Tommy John surgery in 2019 and then uh, no 2020 season thing. So with that happening, we didn't see him pitch until this year. And then this year, he broke his hand in May because he dove for a ball or, or tried to get a ball and didn't get it and slammed the ground and broke his hand, which uh, is a little Huascari Noah-esque. But you know what? I like the passion. I like the burn. Uh, we, we've all been there, and I guess his hand just hit the grass just right or maybe he hit the mound. I don't know what it is, but he came back after that. You know, it wasn't as big of a deal. It's just, it's just a hand. It's not an elbow or shoulder. He came back, and the stuff was ridiculous. I mean, we didn't see a ton of him because there was only 35 and a third's innings for him to throw, and I think the Rangers were slow rolling him a little bit. But in those 35 and a third's innings between rookie ball and low A, he had a 3.06 ERA, a 2.69 FIP, a whip of just over one, 56 strikeouts, 12 walks. Now we go to the Arizona Fall League stats, where again, he's taken his game to the next level. And this is a guy that I think has boosted his value a lot because only 35 innings in the low A ranks and rookie ranks is just not enough, even though the stuff looked really good. He has almost matched that total already, or at least will get close to that after one more appearance in the Arizona Fall League with better numbers. 23 and a third's innings so far, a 1.16 ERA, 0.94 whip, 23 Ks, 11 walks. It's not just because of the stats, though. I, th- I think he's actually pacing the Arizona Fall League in the ERA right now, but that's not the only reason why I have Owen White on this list. I just dug in and started watching more and more of the video, especially in the Arizona Fall League, but even before that, and this is some premium, premium stuff. I'm talking top 100 prospect stuff. I'm talking potential number two, number three uh, starter in a major league rotation type of stuff. The fastball is electric, electric, 94 to 96, tops at about 97, but big time spin, 2,500 RPMs, and so much life up in the zone. He gets tons of swings and misses on the pitch up in the zone, and also is able to just blow it by you because of that life that it has and limited vertical drop. That is a lively, lively fastball that is plus to me. Then he has a pair of curveballs, or excuse me, a pair of breaking balls that are really impressive as well. His upper 70s curveball is plus already. It's got two-plane break, is a big slurvy pitch that, frankly, I don't know how anybody hits. I mean, nobody really did this year. Hitters were only three for 28 against it with 18 Ks. So that kind of shows you how good that breaking ball is. And that's not just in the lower levels. They were also not there. They've not been able to hit it in the Arizona Fall League either. That breaking ball off of that high spin fastball is just a really difficult combination to pick up. 
but then he also mixes in a slider, which gives him a third speed in the mid 80s. That's an above average offering that flashes plus to his glove side and is more horizontal. So he's got the slurvy breaking ball. He's got the horizontal breaking slider that is sharper, and he can use that to back leg left-handed hitters. It sweeps away from right-handed hitters, and that's what I like about both of his breaking balls is they both work to lefties and righties, and he does have a changeup that lags behind as a fourth pitch, but flashes average, but should play up a bit thanks to the life on his fastball, and I think could be a very fine fourth offering. But with the two curveballs and the life on his fastball, I think that there's major, major upside with this kid if he's able to stay healthy. Still only 22 years old. The command is pretty solid. It's really a matter of staying healthy, building up those innings. But he's a name that I'm looking for to potentially be on the top 100 list because of the way his stuff plays, how nasty it is. And the command is better than you would think for somebody with not that many innings under his belt as a guy that was drafted out of high school. I'm a huge fan of Owen White. I want to see a little bit more maybe before he cracks the top 100 lists. But he's somebody that I am way higher on, I think, than the general consensus. And look out for this guy. This is a name that I think people really need to start uh, putting on their radar and somebody that Rangers fans should be amped about. The stuff is real. Speaking of real stuff, here's another guy who has ridiculous stuff, a 2020 draftee of the Washington Nationals. And it's not Cade Cavalli. It's Cole Henry. Cole Henry was somebody that I thought could be a really big steal from the draft with the power arm that he had. Has uh, only 77 innings in college, so I think some people were a bit worried about maybe how polished or how much of a project he could be uh, at the professional level, but he showed pretty solid feel for throwing strikes in college at LSU and has shown that now through his short debut in professional baseball. We only saw 43 innings out of him in high A, but he was dominant there. There's an at-bat between Henry and Meade uh, from the Arizona Fall League that I just can't get out of my head because it was just so, so unfair. And Meade has the Arizona Fall League record for hitting streak, is one of my favorite prospects in baseball. I've got him ranked uh, in the top 60 at JustBaseball.com. And he made him look like me out there. I mean, he he just totally, Cole Henry was just, didn't he didn't have a chance. I don't think anybody would have had a chance with this pitch sequence. He goes first pitch slider that just darts from right down the middle to right off the edge of the plate. Meade waves at it. Then Henry goes to a 94 mile an hour two seam that tails in on the inside corner. So you just got slider diving off the outside, two seamer on the inside corner, and it's 0-2. Now I'm thinking, okay, maybe he goes to the slider. This is If I'm Curtis Mead, this is what I'm thinking. Okay, maybe he goes to a breaking ball outer half again. Well, he goes to the four-seamer, which has a ton of spin and has that rising type of action to it as well on the outer half, and Mead takes a half-hearted sword swing and strikes out on three pitches. That sequence right there, I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's big league you could strike anybody out type of sequence. And if you've got that kind of comfort to go slider first, then two-seamer in on a guy who can really hit anything, and then four-seamer up and out, I mean, that is scary stuff. Henry's command is way better than I thought it would be. Uh, I was really impressed during the regular season. I think it's even taken another step forward here. The other thing that I like about Henry is there's so many ways he can attack you. He's got that mid-90s power fastball effortless velo with high spin that is very similar to what I like about Owen White. But the other thing I like about Henry is that he just has so many different ways to attack you. I'm watching him go right on right change up to Marco Luciano, which by the way is a little bit of a weakness for him. The guy can't really hit change ups, but Henry's going 
all right, I'm comfortable going right on right change on, on Marco Luciano. K's him on that pitch. So he can go at you a few different ways. He's got that breaking ball, which I call a slider. It's more of a slurve, really. He's got that slurve that he can come at you with, but he manipulates it. It can sometimes have more of that horizontal movement and not as much vertical. And then other times he has uh, more of the vertical downer break, but the pitches are so similar. They blend together similar enough that it's hard to differentiate them as two separate pitches. Regardless, he will come at you with more of that slider breaking ball, more of that curveball breaking ball uh, with the different variations of the slurve. And that is nasty. He'll also come at you with a changeup that has really developed well. I've been really impressed with the way that changeup is developed with nasty arm side fade that is enough to legitimately bury in on the hands of right-handers or you know down and under the barrel of right-handers. And then, of course, is a fantastic pitch to left-handers. Also has a two-seamer that bores in on the hands of righties and also mimics the changeup pretty well to lefties and is in the mid-90s. So there's a lot of different looks he can give you. I think the fact that he has such a good feel for the changeup, which I don't think a lot of people were expecting right away with a guy with only 77 innings under his belt, is really encouraging. I think the command that he has already is really encouraging. And the life on his fastball, on top of the fact that he has this breaking ball that he can kind of manipulate into two pitches, Cole Henry's a problem. He's going to be a problem for hitters. I think that the Nationals aced it with those two picks with Cavalli and Henry, two power arms that I really like with more polish than people think. Henry actually much better feel to throw strikes than Cavalli, but Cavalli has, you know, the type of stuff that you really only see out of a few guys in the minor leagues, but Henry's stuff isn't too bad either. So this is going to be a really fun duo that I think is going to be really, really good for the Nationals in not too many years. I think both of these guys could be up by 2023 and Cavalli could be up as soon as next year, but I think 2023 rotation pieces for the Nationals is what they're looking at. Joining Josiah Gray out there, there's some good arms in this national system, and Cole Henry is yet another one to watch with just really, really fun stuff. I see a little bit of Shane Bieber there, I'll be honest, especially with the way the command has played up, the breaking ball, and now a little bit of a feel for the change. I definitely see some Bieber with probably more life on the fastball, uh, but probably not quite that elite command that Bieber has, of course, but there's some shades of him uh, there for sure. That'll do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to come back with some more farm system rundowns tomorrow, as well as a little bit more on the top position players, and it's going to be one or the other. I'm going to do top 10 positional prospects and a little bit more on the top 10 prospects by Farm System. Uh, You can expect a lot of that moving forward as well with some of these kinds of episodes and interviews sprinkled in. And also, I'm always all ears. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at rmwaitin8 and let me know if you have any questions or any things you want me to talk about on future episodes. And I am always all ears, especially in the offseason. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.